Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn. I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Donnelly. We have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk playoff. We're going to talk um, one or two select bowl games that have caught our eye for the sake of narrative. Uh, we're also going to, uh, if time permits, we're going to get to some questions, and those questions come from come to us from, of course, meetatmidfield.com, which is the website that I'm going to promote right here and now before I even let Ryan talk. Uh, meetatmidfield.com is our website. It's where we have the premium posts, written posts, things of that nature. It's where we have premium podcasts of this episode, uh, which, whoops, we forgot to do last week, but we'll, we'll get one. We'll do one. We're going to do a premium podcast. Many are saying that it couldn't be done, but we're going to do it. Um, and, of course, the message board, which is where we will do things like solicit for questions sometimes, where we will discuss games, uh, where all sorts of shit is going on pretty much all the time. It is the best message board in the, the college football internet by a country mile. Uh, and you can subscribe. You can get on there. Uh, go to meetatmidfield.com. Go to the subscribe section and do it. You can subscribe monthly or annually. I don't think we have any deals right now, but uh, meetatmidfield.com. Ryan, what do you think about meetatmidfield.com? Mm, it's a website where if you are mad at us about our opinions, you can yell at us instead of getting angry at the coaches you're mad at. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. You can direct <laughs> you can direct that energy straight to us, and that's I think a more a healthier way to do it. I guess mm-hmm. um, that seems like uh, kind of what a lot of people did this weekend. Uh, yeah, which, you, you know. can you can like not yeah yeah. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> yeah for sure. No, it's a. Uh, it's great. I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's a good place to get angry about strength coaches or to, uh, you know, it, it post about the Buckeyes or post about Michigan or, yeah. you know, uh, do some coping about your team or not do any coping at all. Just get really into being angry. Yeah. Um, it's really just therapy for people who don't have therapists. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe some of them, maybe some of them should consider that, but, um, yeah. And it's, it's also, I think it's also a place to, to mourn. And and by the way, I'm not talking about myself. You can't say it's about me. No, we're both actually, we're, we're both perfect. We're perfect sweeties. We've been so so normal. Um, yeah, we're both really regular, but, uh, you can also go there to, you know, mourn seemingly the impending loss of Jim Harbaugh, I guess. That's something that we're probably going to talk about on the premium show, uh, to the, NFL where he desperately wants to be just more than anything else in the entire world. Uh, you can do mm-hmm. that as well. And then there's there's discussion about uh, all of the other teams. Also, it's not just Ohio State and Michigan, especially right now, uh, because as we are going to detail in these playoff breakdowns, uh, both of these teams are done. There is not any more of Ohio State and Michigan. They're they're it's over with. So we we've got to we've got to find other shit to talk about. So it's not just Ohio State Michigan. It's something known there for everybody. You can go to meetatmidfield.com and subscribe. Uh, there's also something on homefieldapparel.com for everybody. There's a shirt literally for any person on earth. However, no matter how evil you are, how good you are, how much of a sweetie you are. Uh, there is a shirt or a sweatshirt or even some pants for you over at homefieldapparel.com. And if you use the code meet at midfield, you can get 15% off your first purchase. Right now, as we speak, I'm wearing a, uh, a beautiful baby blue Tulane sweatshirt to, uh, to celebrate Tulane's victory over USC in the Cotton Bowl, which we are going to talk about as well after we talk yeah. about the playoff. Um, he, he has cropped it and he has a cropped it into a crop top, unfortunately. That's true. Um, not wearing anything else as well. So I'm, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of Patrick right now. Well, but, and, and but you don't have to do that to your hoodies. Yeah. And I have one of those. Uh, I, I, they, they're, it's actually sort of a revolutionary technology that I invented. I've created the first ever full body vertical camera that you can attach to your laptop. And it's unclear mm-hmm. why anyone would need this. Uh, <laughs> but I have it. And it's to sort of the reason I need it is to intimidate Ryan is to when we set off, you know, when we start the show, I need to set the tone 
tone. And the tone means me wearing a cropped off uh, Tulane sweatshirt and nothing else at all. And I stand for the entire podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm standing and I got both my arms out in sort of a threatening kind of a T pose. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick's like one of those lizards that makes himself appear larger to threaten yeah. a more serious animal. Yeah. Um, it's kind of his number one strategy. Yeah. That's mainly <laughs> what I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, it's, it's never failed me yet. I, I've yet to be attacked by you during the po- during the process of recording one of these podcasts. So who's the real one? We're going to see if that holds today. We're going to see if that holds. Um, so uh, Patrick, let's just get right into it, right? You just want to dive into this uh, this playoff situation here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you want to? What go... you want to talk about first? Um, let's go chronologically. Let's go with the one that happened first. TCU fifty one, Michigan forty five. This was uh, the the afternoon playoff game. Could not tell you where it was played. I don't remember. I remember watching the entirety of the game, but I could not tell you which stadium it was. Maybe the Fiesta Bowl. Is that right? It's the Fiesta Bowl. It's the way yeah. you can tell. Is it's the one that always has the problems with the grass. Yeah, it's the one with um, the shitty field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is... it's because. And and you can also tell these are two poverty programs that never make important games because they they didn't know that until they got there. Um. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know how you could uh, you know how you could live with yourself as a program not knowing the majesty that is the <laughs> Fiesta Bowl, the University of Phoenix Fiesta Bowl, or whatever it's fucking called. Um, yeah. So this this uh, that it's, that's... it's the VRBO one now. It's the it's, oh, the, it's the backup Airbnb uh, Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> not to not to take us off on a tangent, but it is really funny all like how shitty all of the advertisers for bowl games are it's just like products that no one would ever want or use or just like knockoff versions of other things or the the most common one seemingly is like military contractors just just dog shit all of them awful unclear why any of them need to sponsor a bowl game or what they would get from it just money laundering college football is just used for money laundering in most most circumstances and that was true of this game as well this was the money laundering football game um so uh, i don't know where exactly to start here because there's so much to talk about from this game there's so much from this I mean, it was a great fucking football game I, I i that's probably as good a place to start as any it was a great fucking football game i really really enjoyed watching this um not to not to drift into the other game but i think that these were you know what two of the best playoff semifinals ever if not the two best i think that the georgia oklahoma one several years ago probably has a better case but like I think these were two of the best games that we have seen in this in this format, and they happened consecutively. And I think that the first one was probably not quite as high quality as the second one, but I think it was just as fun to watch. I had just as good a time watching this game as I did the other one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think these are, I think pretty definitively you can say this is the best playoff semifinal round of oh, the playoff easily. era by yeah, far it's the only one that's had two good games it's it's the first time that's ever happened there's been like two good games in the history of the playoff before this <laughs> had two right and one of them yeah. was the first year yeah, yeah yeah so yeah i mean that's that's i think fair to say uh it's it's was really fun i mean obviously uh you know michigan fans and Ohio state fans are disappointed to have lost these ones but but i mean just a fantastic game um i think i think tcu uh was really impressive here. I think on the net, mm-hmm. uh, they're de- I mean, they definitely showed the defensive flaws. They've had all season late in this game and you allow Michigan to come back and, uh, you know, really coming down to the, to the end of this one. But, uh, I mean, just such an impressive offensive output from these guys too. And yeah. And of course they had the pick six, which is a huge help here to open the scoring for this game. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think Michigan, uh, they ended up running the ball. What? Like, I think they only got like 186 yards rushing this game, which, 
by their count, both both the split of rush first pass and like their actual rushing production was kind of surprising for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think they execute as well as they usually do in their rushing game, which is kind of bizarre. Um, TCU was very physical in this game. I mean, I think they looked the more physical team. They were really hitting out there. Um, I was very impressed with them, but I was a little surprised Michigan struggled to get as much clear ground in the rushing attack they usually get. Yeah, TCU was, I mean, what, definitively the better rushing team in this game, right? I, I think the, certainly. the stats yeah. back that up and certainly the feel of the game back that up. Yeah, they, they outgained them, you know, total. They outgained them on a per-play basis. They're, with uh, uh, with the guy who started their season as their third-string running back. Yeah, yeah, with a backup running back. Um, what is it? Amari DiMarcado? DiMarcado. Yeah, DiMarcado. DiMarcado, Jesus. Uh, 17 rushes for 150 yards and a touchdown. Max Duggan also carried. Um, Kendra Miller carried a little bit, but had to, uh, had yeah. to leave the game. Did not finish the game, I don't believe. How about, by the way, here's a bit. Here's a bit. Even though he's he's not Italian, as you can tell by his appearance, but yeah. with the last name, what if, what if he was the mafia running back they put on the team? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you do kind of a, a Sonny Dykes Godfather style situation. Yeah, here. yeah. Uh, We're hearing a lot about a Sonny Dykes Godfather situation just in general as we as we uh, <laughs> as we you know move through this playoff. We're we're looking more and more into that as a possibility. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Michigan was sort of. It, it almost read to me like they were kind of taken aback by how good TCU was. <laughs> they didn't really not that they like overlooked a playoff semifinal, but that they didn't quite grasp just how physical that defense can be and how how you know like how strong and fast they are um because Michigan's rushing attack just never really started mashing in the way that you would expect it to and, and yeah. like those yards and the the yards per play and all that stuff is pretty significantly inflated by one big carry that like the first run of the game was the 54 yarder I think um sure and after that it was just like TCU's linebackers and second level players were able to shoot gaps and make plays and they had like 13 tackles in the backfield or something like that yeah 13 tackles for loss four sacks um and Michigan just couldn't really handle it and this is you know one of the best offensive lines in the country over the last two years TCU's linebackers and defensive line were, were every bit ready for it and I can understand Michigan not expecting that or not really understanding why that was happening um i think it was largely just that tcu's front was a lot better than than i certainly expected and i think a lot better than really anybody expected yeah yeah i I think michigan also had some kind of bizarre grab ass plays in the early part of this game yeah yeah. um i mean running the fucking philly special on your first right (laughs) side opportunity of the game is it's insane like this is like they were treating this like they were playing toledo right like like i i I mean, come on. There's no other way to put it. That is that is, there is some insane play calling from from Michigan that felt like they didn't quite understand the gravity of the moment at times. Yeah. Um. Pretty bizarre. I don't know. Pretty bizarre. I, I guess it evened out in the sense that what what uh, or no, it didn't really even out. But they had the, I mean, they, they threw, got the they had the flea flicker for a touchdown. I think right. There was that went for a touchdown. Um. So that like, sounds right. Yeah. So like um, one of the one or one or two of the trick plays worked, but I yeah. they also threw two pick sixes right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I, I promise for, for all our Michigan listeners, it's not going to be me. I'm not going to try to spend the entire podcast bloating or whatever, but like, mm-hmm. come on, McCarthy, like, he had some insane throws in this Ohio State game where, where guys were open by 15 yards and he was getting long touchdown passes off it, but he mostly looked like the guy he's been his whole fucking career, which is not that accurate of a passer who makes some stupid decisions and ways that cost his team. Yeah. Like, it showed up that he had two interceptions. They were both pick sixes. And that's like, obviously, if you played this game 10 times, it's probably not going to happen more than once. But 
but they happened today, right? He he threw some lazy balls that got picked off and and they were returned for scores. And I mean, he was more productive than I think than we estimated. I don't think TCU's defensive backs are particularly good outside of their big plays. I think they were um you call it Michigan receiver production or call it TCU defensive backs. I don't think they were yeah. playing very well. I think he had average like something like 10 yards yeah, an attempt you, despite you, the two pick six. You don't but. usually want to surrender 343 passing yards on 20 completions. That's not that's not very good, generally. Yeah. I, the, the two pick sixes sort of make up for it, and obviously they did enough, but um, TCU's defensive secondary was not like un, <laughs> unbeatable here or anything like that. JJ, he made some passes. He completed some passes. It was just like... I don't know. I feel like he was a negative overall for the team, right? I, feel, I think that his interceptions were more detrimental than the positive things that he did. And obviously, he did enough to score 45 points or to leave him, lead him to score 45 points. But I don't think he did anything that you couldn't just do with a replacement level quarterback, right? Which I think he is. I think, yeah. he's, I think he's a roughly which, which is funny because they in fact did they in fact did have the definition of a replacement level quarterback, and they ran him off in favor of JJ. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is which is kind of interesting to think about. Uh, and also, I would say it, it's really. I mean, in retrospect, it's really funny because I, I was, I was firmly among the group. I'll, I'll be, I'll openly admit it. I was among the group that thought he would raise the ceiling there. He did. He's worse. His ceiling is worse. <laughs> he's, I don't actually. I disagree with that. I don't think his ceiling is worse, but I do think his his floor is lower. They just. Uh, I guess they just never got him there then because this was not especially impressive I, I know what the I know what the yardage says I know what the completions say but like I watched this game I don't think he did anything I think he was just kind of yeah, running around you can maybe make the argument that just that I don't think they used him particularly well in this in the rushing attack in this yeah, game I, I, I would have finished with I, I would have run him a lot more than they did and he was sacked a couple times and that that he was sacked four times still finished with 52 net rushing yards I don't, I don't have the non-sack rushing yards in front of me but I'm 82. sure it's a bit higher than that yeah what did you say I think it was 82 it, it was, 82 okay yeah. Still, yeah, I mean, and that's impressive on what six carries. That's pretty strong, obviously. But but like, it, it, I guess like when you use him in that capacity, that's what his value is. But they didn't. They should have leaned on that more. And generally, like, I, I just they needed to run the football more. And, yeah. and I don't think the game state was so bad they couldn't have done that. Like there was that moment what late in the fourth quarter where it got I think fifty one thirty eight at one point. Yeah. And like, sure, at that point you can't be running the football all the time. But but there was a lot more rush. I feel like they could have done here uh, than they actually did do. Yeah. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have this incorrect. It feels like to me like they kind of gave up their running attack too early in this game. Yeah, I, I think as the game probably compressed a little bit near the end, I would have liked to see more of that. I think in general, running JJ is a good thing. I think he's a good runner, and it's a good way to get him more into the game. And and he he settled in as the game came to you know came to the final minutes, and I think that he was pretty good down the stretch, but. It was not. It was obviously not enough. And 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 yeah, I would have liked to see him run the ball more. I would have liked to see him get more into a rhythm. I think that that's an important part of this offense that they they didn't fully abandon, but I think that they did go away from and that it hurt them um, because TCU didn't have to respect it quite as much as you usually do, as much as most defenses do, and and was able to focus more on on you know I would say on defending the pass. They kind of did that. They did they. Sometimes they defend in the pass. The best thing they did against the pass outside of the pick sixes was that they sacked him or pressured him, um, which was surprising. That was, that was part of that was I think one of the bigger surprises to me. That and how efficient TCU's offense was um, was the fact that they I mean they got a lot of pressure. They got a lot of guys in JJ's face without 
any issue without being contested, without needing to beat anybody one-on-one, just free rushers. Um, and that that was, I mean, we've been talking about Joe Gillespie on here for, for years now. I think it was a Joe Gillespie masterclass there with the blitzes. I think that he, yeah. I think he absolutely... I think he schemed this into a win for TCU defensively. I think that the you know every part of the game obviously mattered, and then TCU needed the offense to be as good as it was to win this game. But uh, they don't win this game if they're not putting that pressure on JJ, if they're not sacking him, if they're not forcing him out of the pocket. They don't win the game. It was it was in large part because of that pressure, because of what he was able to draw up in in designing those pressures that they were you know, able to take advantage of an offensive line that, uh, logically speaking, is better than TCU's front, and it didn't matter. You know, they just avoided them. They didn't have to get blocked. They just ran right past them. Yep. And I I think also, by the way, like, the point I was trying to hear, Quentin Johnson was tremendous as well. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, six catches for 163 and a touchdown here. There was a lot of talk before this game about how physical Michigan secondary is and how they'd essentially be able to, like, the the Quentin Johnson couldn't handle something like that. It wouldn't be that kind of game for him. And man, that was simply not the case, yeah. right? Like, say what you want in terms of you know uh, talking about Michigan's kind of offense here and some of the flaws they had, and and they often did put up forty five points, but but Michigan's defense, I think, did not look for the billing uh, mm-hmm. on, on this game. And I think in general, like, I'm not trying to take away from TCU here because tremendous. I feel like we've done that all season, and it yeah. was a tremendous win for them and tremendous credit to their program to be in a national title game in the playoff era. That is insane. Yeah. Under your yeah, one of Sunny Dykes, that is. Yeah, I, I'll say, like, TCU was the better team here. TCU won this game. Michigan did not lose this game. TCU won it. I, I want to say that. TCU was... I think TCU uh, well, was better. I, they looked they looked like a better football team than Michigan. Well, let, let's say this. I mean, I mean, TCU... It's hard for me to say that, right? Because I think Michigan... TCU executed better on the field on, on Saturday. Yeah. Does that mean, like, what TCU you has on their roster is better like well, i would say no i think no but then i mean then texas a&m they play better be yeah but like i mean damn what are the odds they return two interceptions both for touchdowns again right like yeah. what are the odds that, Mich- that michigan kind of gets away from what was working for them the russian attack that early again in a game like that like there are things michigan did that i think had enough of an outpack enough of an impact to change the outcome of that game uh as well as looking at like what are the odds that tcu actually scores to to turn over for touchdowns again. Like I think, yeah. I think there's enough variation there to say that if you play this game 10 times, like Michigan might win six of them. But I, I certainly thought it'd be more lopsided than that when we came into this. I hear you. I, I do also see, you know, like nine explosive plays for Michigan contributing to a ton of their offense, sure. most of their offense. Whereas yeah. TCU, I mean, 56, they had one or two, they had yeah. a, yeah, they had, they had a couple, but they had a 56% success rate. That's nuts. That's nuts. Yeah. That's a ridiculously, defense, incredible. that's a ridiculously high. That's probably the best performance that anybody has put on this Michigan defense in several years. I mean, it, it would be back yeah. to the Don Brown era. Um, like that's, yeah. I'm checking by the way, uh, TCU had two plays went for longer than 25 yards. Yeah. And one, um, was, one was granted. One was the 76 yard, uh, touchdown reception for Quentin Johnston. But like, still this offense was moving the ball consistently they were moving yep. the ball on the ground they were moving the ball in the air um they they did it in a way that i did not think they could i thought that they were if they were going to win this game or be competitive i thought it would have to be with explosive plays largely through the air or you know getting lucky on a couple of runs and that was really not the case here they dominated up front they dominated they yeah. they ran the ball all over them they did it pretty much at will they did it with max duggan they did it with uh with amari they did it with kendry miller when he was in the game um, and, and yeah, it was very much the sort of thing of like, you know, you, you talk about the, uh, the Michigan defensive backs and their physicality for Quentin Johnston. I think it was kind of the same thing for the whole game, which is like, 
yeah, that physicality is important if you can touch them. You couldn't touch them. You, sure. <laughs> you, it's, it's, it matters a whole lot more if you can get them on the ground and they couldn't do it. They couldn't even, they couldn't get to them. TCU was faster. I, I think that was, you know, especially apparent on the outside offensively, TCU was faster than Michigan was. It didn't matter how physical Michigan was going to be because TCU was already gone. <laughs> you know, TCU had already run past them. And where physicality was important in the trenches, TCU won. I, I think TCU absolutely won. And what does that mean for Michigan? I don't know. I'd be worried. I would be worried about it if I was Michigan. I would be pretty pretty upset and pretty baffled with that sort of performance when the trenches have been, I mean, the identity of this program for, for years, but especially these last two years, and TCU sure. comes in and just sort of, sort of makes a mockery of it, forces you into passing the ball 34 times. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I mean, the phrase that they I'm, I'm not trying to, to dunk on our buddies here, but like, you know, the phrase that Dan and a couple other people have used for the Michigan offensive lines, they call them the God killers. Yeah, uh, that is a that's a pretty lofty nickname to, to use for a group that ends up like this. Right. Like it's yeah, it, like uh, I mean, th- th- look like Michigan it's, under, this is a disappointing performance for Michigan. There is no way to there's no there is no way to put this except Michigan yeah. had what is probably their best opportunity in in. 25 years to win a national championship and they played like shit in their biggest game in 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 I, I would not say that they got ran off the field, but they, they were beaten. They, TCU, they were beaten TCU, yeah, TCU, by a team with yeah. much less talented by a coach in his first year, by, yeah. by a team that stylistically they should have matched up well against. They had a great opportunity in front of them to go play for a national championship. As a Georgia team, we now think looks a little bit vulnerable, but they played real competition. I agree. And, uh, man, yeah, I, it's not. Now you don't have it, and now you don't have it. And I come out of this thinking, and, and out of the Georgia, you know, Ohio State game as well, thinking like, I don't. I'm not going to predict it at this point, but I don't think it's impossible that TCU could win that game. I, if, sure, if, if they could beat Michigan, I think they are. This could set up for a thing too, where like, I mean, Georgia may have just gotten their stiffest test, and now it's going to you know rebound from that and run this team off the field. I don't yeah. think that's crazy to think either. No, it could be, but could be but totally also possible. that would fit more in line with what usually happens. But it's not. Yes, I don't think it's possible. You know, but what we've seen from TCU this season, like I think they could definitely hang with Georgia if they play the game well. Like if, if they if they come out there and play their A game, this team could absolutely hang with Georgia in the full yeah. four quarters. Yeah, and I'll give uh, I'll give full credit to the Godfather himself, Sonny Dykes, who, I mean, he schemed the shit out of this game. He 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 he. Guys were running wide fucking open because of the way that the plays were drawn up. There were. Yep. There were a lot of moments in this game where I I just thought, man, Sonny Dykes just just kicked the shit out of him, just just straight up just won the battle with with design. Um, the way that he was scheming open Quentin Johnston, the way that he was scheming him up in one on one matchups, and and just how good Quentin Johnston is. Um, the big touchdown where where he you know drifts back behind the line of scrimmage so that they can block down the field for it on a on a you know a shallow cross. Basically, I've not seen that before. It's great. It's great. That's a fantastic play design. That's I can't believe that they're allowed to do that. But <laughs> good. It's a good play design. And, and yeah. it was just like it was like that all game. It was just I was I was you know, taken aback and really impressed with just how good TCU looked and how well they executed and how, how smart everything they were doing was. I, I, I think that he, I think Dykes and his, and his staff and also this team deserve, you know, the full credit for going out and performing like this. Cause they, I, I didn't think they could do it. Um, I expected that Michigan would win and, and, and TCU came out and was better. TCU was a better team. And I, I don't know if this has been, 
you know, I don't know if I would say that this has been what they've been doing all year because I, I don't think it is. I don't think they've beaten a team of this caliber, obviously. But like, damn, sure. it's, you you know, they got a chance at it and they did it. And I'm I'm just I really really like this team. I really like watching yeah. these guys play. And by the way, not, not not to make this thing about Twitter discourse either, but can we take a few seconds just that's to bitch most about of, the idiots? That's most of what I, this I podcast is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but just I would take a few seconds to bitch about the absolute morons that saw that Alabama-Kansas State game and then their immediate yeah. reaction to that without even watching TCU play Michigan or seeing anything else is, <sighs> man, that's why Alabama should have been in the playoff, huh? Yeah. That's why Alabama belongs in the playoff. Yeah. you got to be fucking stupid. They lost twice to two shitty teams. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, that is that annoyed the hell out of me. Like I know we don't have to engage. I know it's not serious. I know they had no impact or anything. But like, that pisses me off so much. It, the, the thing that really bothers me is that it's it comes from people who are dressing their shit up as like premier analysis or like oh the next wave right. counterculture to ESPN or the SEC network or whatever. You know, it's it's a smarter analysis for smarter fans, and it's not. It's the same. It's the same analysis. You're doing the same exact shit. Uh, the, 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 you're just doing what if Vegas picked the title yeah they're doing the same exact shit that everybody else does which is just basing everything on recruiting rankings and and prospects you've watched for the sake of the draft you know who's who which team has the most prospects and it's like yeah Alabama has a lot of prospects they're not a football team cool okay we know that we already we don't need to I don't need to see that displayed on a national stage DCU is a better football team obviously I don't, I don't, it doesn't seem like it's, it doesn't seem like it really, and it's not a conversation. It's not a real discourse. It's just, it's annoying to see this coming from people who are positioned as like, oh, smart internet guys, smart internet analysts, like, you know, draft guys who should know, you know, they know, they know football, they're watching film. They're not just falling into tropes. It's like, this is the same exact shit that they do on ESPN where they talk about one or two players and they say, oh, he's going to be a big problem. They're going to have to deal with him. It's like, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. You're going to have to deal with these. You're going to have to deal with Bryce Young if you play Alabama. Obviously it's, that's, (laughs) it seems sort of intrinsic. We know that Alabama's talented. That's not been the question. It seems like didn't watch him play if you think that like anybody who watched Alabama play more than a couple games or just who watched more than a couple players on the team play this year would understand that no they're not a playoff team obviously they're not a playoff team they lost twice it uh yeah I I I saw that as well and 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 did the the you know usual quote tweet and getting mad about it um yeah it's just annoying it's 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 a very annoying way to talk about the sport and I'm I'm, yeah I, I wish people wouldn't do it uh, I, while we're talking about Michigan and and, and, uh, and TCU, by the way, I do want to jump in with one of the questions we had here from that thread I, I brought up. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you have seen this by now as well, but uh, Bruce Feldman and Austin Meeks, I think with reporting from Nicole Auerbach as well, came mm-hmm. out earlier today on The Athletic uh, and, and reported that Jim Harbaugh is very likely to leave if offered an NFL job, um, which was followed up by Tom Pelissaro, NFL Network, reporting that uh, the NFL is very likely to offer Jim Harbaugh a job if he's interested in leaving. So that's a cool, mm-hmm. um, you know, two middle school kids telling their best friends, tell them each other's crush, <laughs> they have a crush on them situation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. That's what journalism is now. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll ask Susie out if, if Susie thinks that I have a chance to go with her. To the, you know, just, mm-hmm. just yeah, that mm-hmm. whole that whole nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jim Harbaugh, interestingly, also does have a history of asking out uh, middle school girls as well. So, those track. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so the, the actual the actual quote here from Feldman is, "I think it is a done deal if he gets an offer uh, about Jim Harbaugh." Yeah. Um, so, so this is what like the fourth offseason in a row has come up, if not longer than that. Yeah, um, pr- pretty much. I, yeah, 
Yeah, the, the and, 2020 offered a reprieve because he sucks so bad. But generally, yes, this has been a this has been a thing under him. Yeah, last year was the Vikings one where he was basically begging for the Vikings job. Yeah, it seemed like he had it and then didn't have it at the very end, and then goes back to Michigan yeah. with his tail between his legs. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So what is the? Uh, you said we have a question for this. Uh, yeah, I should have actually pulled the question. <laughs> the question is, uh, <laughs> the question is from board member, uh, PSU 14, mm-hmm. who asked, uh, if, if we're good to ignore this round of NFL rumors. Uh, mm. and I would say, no, I'd say it's the opposite. Yeah. Um, I would take this round serious. I think he's probably going to go right. I, I don't, if he can get it. Yeah. I think he would go. And it seems like yeah. the Broncos and Colts would make a ton of sense based on their hiring history. Yeah. I, either one of them, I think would make a lot of sense. And, and there are, there are connections in both spots. I would guess he probably ends up with the Colts just from, from, you know, his connections to that franchise and the, the locale and all that stuff he's one of those guys who is sort of a midwest pervert he really seems to like it in the midwest which is a classic yeah. kind of guy that's you know that's that's sort of what makes you and him so similar and that's why i've often said that yeah. you're, you're sort of the jim harbaugh podcasting mm-hmm. um and people forget that, that san francisco is basically the midwest too yeah of course well listen we all have to we all have to venture out someplace but he's spiritually he's midwest um yeah. and also i just i don't i don't know if he'd like to live in colorado i think that he would probably be very upset by the kind of people who live in Denver, so instead he can go hang out with our friends at Homefield over in. Uh, in but in but you got to think like none of the none of the Broncos fans, like the people who moved to Denver, they're all like people who are, like live forty five minutes outside of Denver and own yeah. like seventeen shotguns. Yeah, like that's the average Broncos fan. The average Broncos fan is not like the guy who smokes weed and likes rock climbing. No, but uh, but Jim Harbaugh would have to interact with those people, and I don't think he would like that at all. Um, you th- I think he would do awesome. I think they would love him, dude. I I, th- <laughs> I think he's gonna like somehow like corner one of those guys and like start talking to them about like. <laughs> I, I don't know, like the history of like pot legalization in like a, a country in South America or something. Like yeah. how Bolivia has some like a marijuana cultivation done by the government for, uh, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. like something like that. I think he would crush that environment. Yeah, I I would guess he probably ends up with the Colts. But yes, I I would be I would be taking this seriously at this point. It seems like most Michigan people are right, and it seems like yeah. they're like not that upset about it, which is really interesting. I, I'm I'm curious. I'm very curious about like where they as a program would go if that is to, if that is the case i don't probably know if down. there's <laughs> probably down <laughs> i don't know if there's like yes i would assume probably down but i don't know if there's like an obvious replacement cuz josh Gaddis sucks and you don't have any other proven coaches on the staff really it's a lot of you younger guys more. I, I think Shiro Moore might be the continuity hire um, i don't know if that's that's crazy or not but man i mean i guess uh, i guess you'd probably have to do something but I don't know. Maybe you see if Mike. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that. who they would hire. I, that is an interesting question. People said Matt Campbell is an option. Obviously, that oh. would be such a bummer of a hire for them if that's yeah. what happens. Way, I to, mean, way to keep up the momentum, there, guys. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't think I don't think Lance Leopold would. I mean, I think he would definitely uh, he take, would take it. Take I don't it. know if they would hire him. Yeah, that would be kind of a that would be a tough sell, admittedly. Uh, going and getting a guy whose whose best season at Kansas is still a losing record, um, as you come off a playoff appearance, I, that would be that would be a difficult sell. I don't know. I don't know exactly who would make sense outside of that. It's it's not, you know, fully time for us to talk about that because he has not accepted one of these yeah. jobs or been offered one of these jobs. But um, I, I will say really really quick, uh, there is one more name I want to throw out there. Just there, there's someone I'm thinking of who um, has a lot of a track record of success in rivalry games, mm-hmm. um, who has history uh, manning the portal the same way Michigan has aggressively manned the portal this yeah. year. He's an in-state coach. Yeah, you have to wonder if Mel Tucker makes sense here for Michigan. <laughs> you have um, to. You also have to think that maybe Ryan Day would be a candidate in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> he knows the rivalry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Uh, you gotta uh, think. You gotta think that Mark D'Antonio and Jim Trussell will both be involved in the search for this job sure. as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know exactly who would end up there. I'm, I would. I would not be surprised if it was somebody who we're not currently thinking about, like just a kind of a weird one. Um, sort of. Uh, that seems. Uh, to I'm be... thinking of every coach simultaneously, but I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm considering every coach all at once, um, and they're all equal possibilities to me. But um, I, I could see that being the case where they go and try to get a try and get a weird one. Um, there, you you already know that Jeff Halfley is going to be on Bruce Feldman's list. You already know oh, his yeah. ass is going to be on that Dude, list. If he if he puts Alex Grinch at the bottom of one of these <laughs> lists, I'll cry. <laughs> oh my God, he's fresh off a, an excellent performance at the Cotton Bowl, and he's ready for work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> bringing Les Miles home. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't uh, I don't know exactly where they would go uh, with if that was the case. There seems to be sort of a weird amount of like kind of serene energy around this among Michigan fans. Like I said, I would be curious to talk to. Like Dan or Taylor or Ace about why that is. We might do that if yeah. this if this does go through. Well, um, if only we could. I, we just don't have the time in our schedule. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, if only we had some sort of website that had Michigan coverage on. Um, that, Taylor, and by the way, at the time of at the time of recording, Taylor has just published her thoughts on this as well. So yeah, uh, if you do want to read about kind of a Michigan perspective on this, uh, meetupmidfield.com. Taylor has her thoughts up on kind of what Michigan would do if they pivoted here, and yeah, uh, it's a good read. I, I was reading it a bit. I, I honestly was trolling on my. Uh, a live Mel Tucker take, but uh, she does have some some good ideas in there and kind of what this means, and it, it's a good read. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna keep an eye on that, but I would definitely, I would definitely take it seriously at this point. I think that that that's. Uh, I, I would it be it's... really funny? Obviously, we would never do this because Taylor's good at her job. But yeah. what if we did a reading series from one of our own colleagues' work and just like ripped apart? <laughs> <laughs> that would be like, funny. Oh <laughs> yeah, good idea, dipshit. Who the fuck wrote this? We should, I think we should do a uh, a worst message, uh, like a worst message board post of the year every year, and we're just pulling from our own board the worst post made on yeah. our board by our own posters, just just calling them out by name. That would be really good. We should we should uh, look into that. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if I have a whole lot else to say about Michigan or about this this game right now. TCU whooped ass. TCU looked really really good. I'm I'm yeah. Uh, I I think that it would be one of the most impactful in a positive way things for the sport as a whole uh, that has happened in in decades if TCU won the national championship. I, I say that it sounds like I'm joking or being, you know, just, just, just blowing smoke. But like, I think that to see a team like TCU win this game at all, but to, to go to the national championship um, and to potentially win it would be a uh, just just an absolutely crucial uh, breakthrough at a time when the sport desperately needs just something else, just something different. Um, to, to see that it's not just going to be whoever has the number one recruiting class, that it's not just going to be whoever can go out and collect the most talent, that it is possible to win with something different, with a different system than what others are using, with different kinds of players, with different body types, uh, with a different approach in general. I think we just need to see it so that teams stop trying to yeah. just be Ohio State or just be Alabama or just be Georgia. It, something different has to break through, and TCU has done that already. Um, for them to win a national championship, I think would be groundbreaking. I, it's uh, I'm 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 desperate for it. I think that it's well, it's I, it's crucial that it happens. But I don't know if it I, will. I don't know if I want to rain on your parade here. And I'm sorry for doing this, but do you think that actually, if if that were the case, if TCU were to win, mm-hmm. do you think teams would actually try to pivot away from like we want to get the like 
even if it does work one time, yeah, the the Alabama Georgia Ohio State method is much more proven and more repeatable. No, well, I guess for them, it's not for everybody else. Maryland's not competing for national championships, no matter how much. Yeah, they yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I guess that's that's. I, I that's think a it would point. be it would be less about getting teams to not think that they should do that. Obviously, you having more talent is better than having less talent. But I think that it would yeah. offer. Uh, just a counter argument to say like, well, maybe we should go get a scheme guy. Maybe we should go hire a Jamie right. Chadwell. Maybe we should consider the option. Maybe we should consider the air raid. Maybe we should, you know, maybe this stuff shouldn't just be relegated to the lower schools. Maybe this should be something that we at Purdue should be thinking about, or we at Purdue's not a great example because they're already doing this. We at Colorado, we at Arizona State, at, you know, yeah. any number. Yeah, of I think schools. we'll probably like, never stop the top twenty or so programs from always trying to do that, which, no. which honestly does make sense for them, right? Like in some capacity, like if you can be Alabama, you should try to be Alabama. Yeah, uh, yeah, to- it's, it's totally. a good life. <laughs> but if you can't be Alabama, you should maybe try to be TCU. Maybe you should go do yeah. something more interesting. And I, I think that. I, I hope I don't know if it will, but I I hope that this encourages more teams to do that because they you you can't they just can't all be you know powerhouses they can't all have that kind of talent. There's only so much talent. There's a reason that it's exclusive. It's not just you know it's it's you can't just take the top you know the top percent of talent and then spread it to everybody because then it wouldn't be that. Um and and so I hope that this uh, this offers teams more reason and more justification for going and hiring coaches who are good at their jobs instead of just hiring guys who can recruit you know like like willie fritz guys like willie fritz lance leipold coaches we talk about here all, all on here all the time jamie chadwell coaches like this like i think they could do this i think that if sonny dykes can do it there's no reason to think that other coaches of this ilk can't do it and i don't think that it has to necessarily be in this modern era i don't think it necessarily has to be a politic or it has to be a ceo i think you can still win with scheme guys i think you can still win without scheming your opponents and TCU doing this was really the first actual justification I have for thinking that in, I mean, years. It's It's been a really long time. Um, and so this was this was good. I think this was a really good result for the sport in, in on the whole, even if it's, you know, uh, a very, very difficult, very tough loss for Michigan to take. I think that the sport needed this. Um, and, and also just for these games to be good in general. I'm, I, uh, we, we can move into the Ohio State-Georgia game now, but, like, I think just – for me personally, my own my own feeling about it, but I think for probably much of the college football world, I needed this. I needed these to be good. I needed these games to be good. And I needed something different yeah. to happen. And uh, something. And look, if, if you want to, we we can offer a bit of a mea culpa here. Like we, I don't think we actually have to, but we did talk yeah. a lot of shit in advance of these games about how boring bowl season as a concept is. How yeah, basically shitty the playoff has been, and and. You got to hand it to them. Like the New Year's Six bowl games delivered this year, right? Yeah, I mean, like Tulane TCU was a was a forty six forty five affair that was wildly entertaining. Obviously, the both playoff games we talked about were awesome. Um, I guess the Alabama and uh, and Tennessee games were pretty shitty. Those were both kind of blowouts. Alabama blowing out Kansas State and Tennessee yeah. blowing out Clemson. But but you know, uh, Utah Penn State's tied at halftime as we're recording this, right? Like that's been a competitive game. Like it's largely been a pretty good bowl. I wouldn't say it's been a good bowl season. Maybe a few of these games have been good towards the end of it, which is yeah. going to give an inflated opinion of it. But but it's ended. Basically, strong. the playoffs. Yeah, it's ended well. The playoffs performing at this level uh, is amazing, and like this is what we want. And by the way, like games like this, having more games like this shit in the line, like is why I want an expanded playoff. Like yeah. if a game like Tulane USC was to go play and now like a play on a negative round on the playoffs, like with momentum like that, a 46, 45 finish and in that crazy fashion, that's awesome. Like yeah. that's great for the sport. Like I want more of that. I don't want like more of the games where, 
you know, X, Y, and Z's best players have opted out and we're not getting to see these guys play in their final game. And like, who cares? You're just going to see an exhibition for like freshmen. And we talk about the conference records. Against each other. And I don't care about any of that. I don't want any of that. Like that yeah. sucks. Like I want more of these games that matter that are close that are competitive. And I can get more of those to the next level, which is, I don't, I don't want to get that argument again. I'm yeah. not trying to do that. But, the, this was um, this to me, this weekend, this past weekend was kind of proof of concept for the idea of the playoff. Uh, and, and, this was the vision for the four-team playoff, and it just never really happened until this year. Like we said, it's the first time this has ever happened, and I think that is... Uh, there there might be people who will take from this like, oh, the four-team playoff is good now. It's going to be good now. It's it's Maybe we yeah, shouldn't go away from this. Yeah, you're I, don't think, you don't. I don't think that that's what this is. I think this is more just like, you know, when there's not as much... Uh, separation among the top teams when there's not an obvious number one and obvious number two. And and there were, you know, it would have been Georgia versus Michigan in the championship game this year. And that would have been deserved based on the records and based on the fact they were the two unbeaten teams. But like, they've not been far and away better this year than everybody else. And and, and I think that that is part of what's going to be important for the success of a 12 team playoff. And it's certainly important for this. And and the, the, the value of the 12 team playoff is just that you get more opportunities at it. There's more chances for good games. There's more chances for matchups that are competitive for, for shit like this to happen. If we're going to be doing this anyway, and we're going to be shooting such a low percentage on these games, which it has for the entire 14 playoff, we might as well have more vol- volume. So there's a better chance of one or two of them being entertaining. I think that that's, it's a number, yeah. it's a numbers play. If we're going to do this shit anyway, we might as well try and get some good games out of it. And, and I think we got very lucky this year to get two good playoff games, but I look forward to when there's a time when there are more playoff games and when there's a time where that more of them will be good. I think you'll have more relatively even matchups than this playoff produced. The first round's not always going to be like that. I think the one seed's probably going to beat the shit out of the eight seed pretty frequently or however it breaks down. But I, th- I think it's, I think you're going to get more good football and that's good. I like that. I'm glad to get more good football. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the story, right? We just want more ball. We want good football. I, I don't want games that don't matter. I want games that matter. Yeah. Um, that's my stance. All yeah. right. So Ohio state, Georgia, um, Ooh, this was a humdinger. This thing was this fun. Was, this was an incredible football game. Purely yeah, just, just, oh my God. <laughs> let, let's, yeah. So I just want to start off by, if you want to give me some room to cook here for a second, yeah. I just want to talk about the, the, the whole referendum on Ryan Day thing seems to be happy after every play call. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, it was an impressive game for Ohio State, right? I, I think the fact they, they did finally get off the mat yeah. and play tight like this against a playoff caliber team for the second time in Ryan Day's tenure. And, you know, basically the second time in the last God, uh, oh my God uh, yeah. seven or eight seasons. It's like, this, it's like, it's this in 2019 Clemson are the two competitive in 2020 Clemson, I guess yeah. the two Three. competitive, good games they played against playoff caliber team since the end of the Alabama championship. Well, run. They've, they've um, beaten some, they've beaten some very good Michigan teams. I'll give them credit for that, but it's yes. But teams they, that actually made the playoff, yes. they've, they've had like 10 games against those teams. Yeah. And, like three of them have been good. And it's it was nice to see them answer the bell and at number three to the list. That was cool. CJ Stroud played the best game of his career. That's awesome. And I understand why people are encouraged by this. And I do think it gives you some hope for the idea that if he makes changes, we have been yelling about that have been obvious for two seasons, that Ryan Day could answer the bell and be you know, eventually get over the hump at Ohio State, right? I guess it is it's it's a vision that is possible now after feeling impossible for the last year and a half. Yeah. I am not interested in moral victory though like i think anyone who's saying like hey this means this is a good season i'm proud of the team whatever sorry dude fuck all that they got blown up by michigan they couldn't get over the hump of this game they had a they had a you know two score fourth quarter lead 
and they couldn't close. They got scored. They got outscored eighteen to three in the final in the fourth quarter. Here, they couldn't bring a game home. They couldn't close. They had bad play calling the final drive. Um, my recap of this game overall is not negative. I think Ohio State largely played well, and I think there are things to be excited about. But man, winners win and losers lose sometimes, right? Like, like at a certain point in time, you have to get over the hump. You have to close one of these games. Like, you know, you, you had a score of 14. You had a 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter. Uh, you have to win that. Like, at a certain point, you have to win. You you can't yeah. go. You can't close out, basically, from the the final, what is it here? Uh, after the 10-minute mark of the third quarter, the final 25 minutes of this game, they went punt, field goal, punt, field goal, miss field goal. Yeah. Like with the alleged best offense college football, I've been moving the ball all day. That's not good enough. I know Marvin Harrison got hurt. I know that stuff happens, but like, yeah, I, I, I'll you have to find an answer, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll say something about the Marvin Harrison thing real quick. Losing him is obviously devastating. It's a devastating thing for this offense. Ohio State recruits wide receivers better than anyone basically ever has. There should be another guy who can go into the game and make plays. I don't think that this is that controversial to say, like they should have other guys that aren't just a Mecca. How do you not have any other guys? What are you talking about? What do you mean you don't have any more guys? What is all yeah, that recruiting I mean, I, for? I talked about this. Just We just recorded High Street Freaks before this. Like That issue is a direct testament to the fact that they only played four receivers the entire season. Yeah, The whole season, they only played Marvin Harrison, Emeka Ibuka, uh, uh Julian Fleming, and then the walk-on Xavier Johnson. You yeah. got a little bit of Jaden Ballard snaps and blowouts, but like the, the young, all those four and five-star fresh they have the roster they've recruited for the last couple of years, aren't playing at all besides Emeka and Marv. Yeah. Uh, and they're not getting any snaps and they had no one to go to after he got hurt because they didn't get anybody reps and blowouts because they keep the starters in way too long blowouts. Like that's yeah. something we've already bitched about, complained about. And it's another problem coming to fact, like coming to play. And then you had your entire top three running backs. Basically, I, I, Maya Williams played, but basically couldn't play. He had three carries. Yeah. Uh, and you had uh, Kate Silver go down in the first quarter with fucking back spasm, with their soft tissue injury. Uh, because again, you have a poor SNC staff. Like, like the thing, I, I, they made improvements this game. Ryan Day did well as a play caller when he has a month to prepare. That's how much time he needs to basically get a good game plan and call a good game against good teams. But that's not sustainable. And there are now reports from Kirk Herbstreit that he said he's going to give up play calling next season. And that's awesome. That's a positive. That's a good sign. But like, you know, it, it's just like the, it's so many of the things we bitched about that even when they play their best game, those things are still problems because there's a lot of little things that you can critique about this program that they don't really self-scout. They don't really look to improve on. They don't change their mind on that add up over time. And, you know, Parker Fleming higher, like the central teams were terrible. Like there's just so many little things that happen time and time again that are direct contributions to poor decision-making. It gets overlooked as it's a no big deal. And I had this exact line of high street freaks too, which you can listen to if you're an Ohio state fan and somehow listen to this podcast on that one. But, um, you know, there no straw breaks the camel's back until one of them does, right? There's there's always a million little things that are okay until they're not. And then they boil over. And these guys, his small little things always boil over in their biggest games. And man, it's cool they got close, but I don't care about getting close. I want to fucking win. Yeah, the expectations at Ohio State is to win these games. It's to win the championship. It's to... I've seen and a, not I, all of them, but some of them. Yeah, I've seen a million people say some version of you know the the goal is to beat Michigan to win the Big Ten and to win the championship, and they've not done it. And one of those one of those million is Ryan Day, by the way. Ryan Day said yes, that. he said the goal of the program is to beat Michigan, win the Big yes. Ten, and compete for a national championship. They're now zero of three on uh, in the last two seasons. Yeah, which I, I was yes, I've I've seen a million people referring to that and and saying you know yeah. well, he's he's what zero for zero for six now over the last two seasons. Zero for six the last two seasons. Um yeah. and. And uh, 
yeah, it's, it's not it's not good. It's not it's not what they want. It's not what the expectation of the program has been for for you know years now, decades now even. Um, I I don't even know where to start with this game. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot for both of these games to talk about. Um, I I will say fully while while also understanding and 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 you know starting with like Ohio State's expectations are lower than that or are are higher than this I will say fully I did not think that they had this in them this was much better than I thought they could possibly be they they looked infinitely more prepared infinitely more up to the challenge than I thought they were going to be I thought they'd get crushed I said that on this show um I was incorrect they they were they were prepared they looked every bit as as ready for this game as they needed to be they looked I mean, they looked one, exactly one point worse than Georgia, um, and I think for a lot of the game they looked better. I think they probably deserved a result here, and they couldn't pull it out. And that is, and that's an issue. Yeah. That's a that's a failure. You need to pull a game out like this. You had a two score lead in the fourth quarter. That should be enough. <laughs> that should be enough. Yeah, I mean, you, know? you, you gotta but, you gotta get more than three points, right? Like, like yeah. that's that's you, you gotta get you gotta more. get more than three points in the fourth quarter. That that it's that simple. Like I know Marvin Harrison went down, but. There are other guys on the team. There are other weapons. There are other players. And, and I mean, like, C.J. Stroud was playing out of his fucking mind. He, he played the best game I've ever seen him play. One of the best games I've ever seen from a college quarterback. He, he was incredible. I mean, he, he, was, he was clinical. And he actually did the thing where he, he saved the running for this game. He literally did it. He's the first guy who's ever actually saved something for a big game in college football. They always just say that, and it never happens. He actually did it. I mean, he ran all over the goddamn place. He like he was he was incredible, and you get three points out of him in the fourth quarter, man. I just I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that happens. But I I do I do need to say here that like yeah, they exceeded what I thought they were going to do. It's still below the program's expectations, but physically, I thought they were here. I thought they were I thought they were capable. I I didn't think they were going to be. Um, and for a lot of the, for a lot of the first half, as it, as it came to a close, I especially thought that they weren't going to hold up in the second half. I mean, that second quarter was brutal on the ground. It was just George, just big Georgia running play after big Georgia running play. It didn't seem like Ohio State had anything going on in the trenches at that point. I thought the offensive line was good all day, but it looked like the defense was just going to get run off the field and they didn't, you know, they, they bounced back in the second half and they were, they were able to. I think recover in a way that I didn't expect them to. They were able to handle a lot of what Ugh. Georgia did in a way that I didn't expect them to. But the end of the day, the result is what it is. You know, I, I think that this was, and this is this is. I, I'm not, I'm not going to use this game quite as much to damn Ryan Day, just because like I don't know. I think his game plan was good, and and ultimately it just came down to a couple plays, and I I get what he was thinking, even if it didn't work. Um, but like, the thing is, like this was I. I think this was the best they can do, right? I, I, am I crazy to say this was like the best that they could have possibly done? That this is like uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the question comes down to like the defense and is it going to get better? Is like with yeah. more Jim Knowles influence? Which or like you know, I, like, I would assume that Jim Knowles's defense is going to get more disciplined, is going to execute better. But the thing is, and they, there's also they, there's they more have, recruiting continuity. Yeah, the, but, but like yeah. the thing is, like they have less guys than they used to defensively they just do they have fewer guys there's fewer top 100 guys there's fewer blue chip guys like true blue chip guys and you can say the development should be better and it should be but it's i feel like this was the best they can do i feel like this was the best you could possibly expect this team to do against georgia and they still lost and that's that would be very troubling i think and that's it's i'm not i'm really really not trying to do the referendum on day here because i think that he schemed the shit out of this game i think he did a great job but 
the program is what it is. You know, it's, it's, that's your job as the head coach. And I feel like Ohio state just, just did as well as it could and still lost. Maybe they had more, maybe they could have done better, but I could not have really asked for much more out of this team. And they still lost by a point. Georgia still came back and won. And that's, that's, that, that has to hurt. It has to hurt a lot at Ohio state. At at a certain point, the answer is just, it it sounds like oversimplified, but winners win and losers lose. And like, at a certain Georgia point, figured out a way to, show, to win the game. <laughs> they just did. Yeah, and you, you have to show proof you're a winner when the chips are down. And like, look, like the defense. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge concern, right? Over the final two games of the season, they gave up uh, 87 points and 1,063 <laughs> yards. Like that's, Jesus yeah. And, and Christ. people can say, you know, that which is true. Essentially that the talent at Ohio state is not what it should be right now. That over the 19 and 20 recruiting classes, they signed just two top 100 players on defense. Those are the guys that are juniors and seniors right now. And that's correct. It's accurate. But at the same time, like in the 21 and 22, like like next year, basically, I think from the, the four recruiting classes that are making up a team, uh, they're going to have 13 top 100 players in the defense between mm-hmm. the two deep. So if you can't make that work, if you can't get those guys to work, then Jim Knowles should be fired too. And that means it's another coordinator hire fail for Ryan Day. And yet, yet another staff coming in for new, you know, kind of new development, new instruction to a group of recruits that have had a million of them already. And at a certain point in time, he has to get it right. And like, I know Knowles was the popular high at the time. And I'm not trying to absolve this guy either, right? Because like, look, a guy like Ryan Walters can show up at Illinois and make it work in year one. You know, a guy like, you know, uh, Joe Rossi can show up in Minnesota and make it work in year one. Like there are coordinators who are simply capable of making it work with the talent they have. And Jim Knowles' scheme failed them, right? Like the idea of the trade-off, like the big plays will happen because his whole thing is we create pressure, we create havoc, and sometimes we give up big plays in the back end. And that's cool, but there wasn't actually any pressure or havoc. Like you're you're getting the trade-off, you're getting the downside without the upside. And that's what happened. This is from his from his group. And like again, that's just not good enough. Like, I'm sorry, when you get paid two million dollars a year, when you have this many four-star players, even if they're you know top 150 instead of top 100, you gotta fucking figure it out, dude. Like th- this program has to be better than this in the defense. It's it's just not good enough. And like again. They have ten off. They have ten dis- assistants on the staff, and only four of them are on defense with an offensive head coach. And it's the only program that does that makeup. The only program that has a, a a coach who is you know leaning towards one side of the football that doesn't have at least five assistants on the other side of the football. It's the only major program doing that. And look what the results you get are. They fail in the biggest moments. It always do it. Like that stuff catches up to you. It just does over the course of a season. Yeah, and it catches up on recruiting too. They miss a lot of linebacker recruits because Jim Knowles is a non recruiter. Larry Johnson's fucking seventy two years old. And he's like he's missed his big three recruits. Like. There are decisions they're making, choices they're making that are catching up to that at the end of the season. Their defensive line rotation sucked. It was not good enough. They were not putting the right players in the field in the right moments. They were making troubling decisions. Uh, their players aren't improving at the right rate. Like their their you know biggest recruit in Jack Miller, J- sorry Jack Sawyer, not Jack Miller. <laughs> Funny, uh, uh, Jack Sawyer is an overweight guy who's done nothing after two years. His five star player done nothing after two seasons. Like these guys aren't developing. They aren't producing. We're not getting sacks. We're not getting home. You know, like there's not chaos being created for quarterbacks. They're not the coverage isn't working. There's just a lot of things on defense that are just theory that have not been any practice. And it's it's easy to it's like it's easy to understand why recruits aren't wanting to come play for that because there's no proof of concept, right? Like yeah. there is no proof that a Ryan Day team can figure out its defense because it's like it's just not a priority to them. Like until he prioritizes, until he puts their defensive assistant out there, until he makes sure these guys actually do their fucking jobs and have some accountability to it and hire the right guys for the job. It just doesn't matter. Like, you know, he had a player, fucking Ronnie Hickman, who who declared for the draft for the Michigan game in the two worst games of his life. And, like, good riddance to him. Thank God he's gone. Like, but 
that there's just a lot of shit there that doesn't seem like they actually care about defense or have any kind of leadership on defense inside of the football. Um, it's annoying. It's frustrating. It sucks. And, you know, I'm glad they played well in this game. I'm glad he had a good offensive scheme after a month to do it because that's what you should have. It's what you should uh-huh. expect. But there's two sides of the football game. And I don't care how many offensive yards you get or how good your quarterback plays. You are judged on wins and losses and titles are not titles. And he's not winning them, dude. He's not winning them. And this game did change, I guess, by doom and gloom nature that I thought that I think it's a, sh- I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a foregone conclusion that he is now a dead man walking next year. Yeah. I do think, however, uh, my overall perception of him as a guy who can't get it done has not changed. Yeah. I think but... he now has a scenario in front of him where based on what he's learned in this game, if he actually learns from this and makes the right choices of changing who the play caller is, of getting rid of Parker fucking Fleming, who I'm not even going to get into the fake punt because we talked about it at nauseum on the previous podcast and I don't want to do it again because it just, it's so obvious, it's so stupid. Yeah. If he actually hires a defensive assistant, if he, if he, tells Larry Johnson kindly to go retire, go hire Charlie Partridge for Pitt. If he does the things that he is supposed to do and makes the right hires and upgrades positions the way he should, then, you know, I, I think that this is still in front of him. He still can do this. He can win a title. Yeah. But I don't really have any faith he's going to do that. Yeah. His, his I mean, his quarterback recruiting and the recruiting of wide receivers is going to be valuable for, 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 you know, uh, however, you know, however long it is, it's that's, that's going to be, that could be a part of a of an actual title con- contending title winning program. Um, I, I think objectively, you can understand the the vision with that. I'm a little, uh, you know, uh, coming out of this game, I'm in a, I'm in a similar place to where you are, where it's, it's not necessarily like, oh, well, I'm convinced he needs to be given full, you know, they need to they need to give him another extension. They need to give him another extension and another raise. Like, that's no, that's that's silly. I think my my opinion on Ryan Day is still largely that I've not seen him do it. And so I don't have a reason to believe it, but I, I do come out of this game, you know, as I look at the program at Ohio state thinking that it's, it's possible that he does do some of that, that he does make some of those changes. Now, granted the issue has been at Ohio state, what that, that they, he makes some changes, but not enough that it's never like structural, right. That it's just, just moving guys around, getting new pieces in, not necessarily addressing like that they have a million soft tissue injuries every year and that there's maybe a reason for that. Um, and, and that, you know, I don't know that I think that's going to happen, but I, I do come out of this sort of, uh, you know, at, at least moderately impressed. And I think probably more than that, that, that with how much they changed with how much he changed about the offense, with how much he changed about the way that they approached this game. And yeah, he did have a month and that's, you know, what you should do coming into this game. But it seemed like he took a lot of the criticism and he, he went and looked at the game and, found a lot of the same issues that a lot of people watching did uh, the the game being capital T capital G um, and and took from it a lot of changes that worked in this game changed a lot of stuff about how the offense works there are still you know I think pe- things that people can have issue with for good reason things that I think we have issue with for good reason but I I do think that he changed a lot of what he did heading into this game I do think that he adjusted and that that would be if I'm if I'm looking for a thing to be like you know, optimistic about there. I think it would be that he was willing to change, that he was willing to go away from a lot of the stupid shit that they were doing offensively and that they did look as prepared as they did. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit less, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit less down on it after this than you are partially because I, I think just watching it from, you know, uh, the, the, 
watching it purely without really any rooting interest in mind, I thought that both teams looked pretty good. I think Georgia really, really didn't start the game well um, and closed really well down the stretch, and Ohio State kind of collapsed yeah. down the stretch. But, like, I don't know. It didn't look I, like I don't know State if you heard this, by the way, off. too, but he did give a – I don't have the quote. I should have pulled the quote in advance. I don't have it in front of me. But he did give a quote that basically losing Cade Stover changed so much their playbook. <laughs> So, I, I, Dude, which the, is the TV, the TV guys continuously saying excellent tight end Cade Stover was cracking me up. So much. I was just like, "What Dude, are you guys? Uh, what are you guys watching? What football?" Are I was you guys listening watching? to the Spanish broadcast. I, I was watching Argentina. I had the Spanish broadcast on, so I did not yeah. hear that. But that's okay. very funny. Yeah, I, uh, I do wonder if, I, I mean, like, I, <laughs> this is so grim to say. I, I wonder if he actually had that game plan in advance, or like this, like a benefit they got by not being able to play Cade Stover. <laughs> Like I wonder if him going like if him going forced down them into took out line. some of their yeah forced them into like calling good plays. Uh, part of me this is like that's the cynical part of my brain. Yeah, and also the idea of like was Kate Stover really an irreplaceable piece for you? You you you, <laughs> you shouldn't be. That's a reflection on your offense, brother. It should not be a, a an like oh like well, I don't know what to do without Cade Stover. You don't know what to do yeah. without a bad blocker who can't catch. Really, you can't figure yeah, out how to crazy. work around that. <laughs> I mean, God, dude, it's nuts that. That they couldn't get any any. I think I guess he got one catch for Joe Royer. He played the game a little bit. They they brought on that heart kid at one point. He's like the four string tight end. Like there's yeah. just it's whatever. Yeah, I don't want to get too much more into it because I'm sure we'll do more in High Street Freaks for the next few months. But uh, I don't know. We're gonna do we're gonna do our offseason kind of recap of the Ohio State's program on that show on the premium as well. So you guys should subscribe to Meet Up and Field to listen to that. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. I mean. I don't know. It uh, it sucks, right? It's pretty frustrating uh, to uh, it's pretty frustrating to lose that game. It, it's in a shitty fashion. Uh, I, I felt the kick I f- at the end. I felt yeah, so I mean, awful for 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 poor Noah Ruggles, who I think was put in a really bad situation because that was just never gonna. It it was never uh, even close. It wasn't even fucking. There was close. a there was, was a big fight on our message board about this too. By the way, whether or not Ryan Day was like being aggressive enough. Uh, <laughs> basically he ran for people who somehow didn't see the end of this game or don't remember this. He ran on first down and threw on the next two downs. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he, like, which, I mean, to me, I understand the philosophy, right? I think Georgia's going to defend the pass so much. We'll be able to get a few cheap yards off a running play here. I kind of get that concept for them. If they weren't so predictable when they run, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they weren't so formation predictable, uh, I would understand that more, Yeah, but they also, uh, I don't know, dude. Like the, he also said in the post game press conference, he was just trying to take a few yards of the field goal on that drive. Yeah. So, I, so that, so I think by his own admission, he was not really being very aggressive. Was just trying to take some yards off, which for a kicker who'd never had anything longer than 48, just being settling for 50 feels pretty crazy. Yeah. And like, I understand, you know, you, you want to, you, you don't necessarily need to go for the touchdown there. A field goal does win the game. And I understand that, but like, I don't know, man, I think, I think that the context of the game was such that, like, I personally, on that first down, I don't think I would give the ball to anybody except for C.J. Stroud, and I don't think I would do that on any play for the pretty much the entire fourth quarter. I think it would just be C.J. Stroud and let him go make a play because Georgia had not stopped him at all. Georgia had never really been able to stop C.J. Stroud. They were not uh, not really putting him on the ground as the game came to a close. They were getting pressure on him, but he was running away from it, and he had a he had a huge run on like the play before that first down. Um, right. I just, I get it. I understand, you know, you trust Noah Ruggles, very, very good kicker, extremely good kicker. The kick is not reflective of what Noah Ruggles can do, but he's not a long-distance guy. And ultimately, Ugh. I don't think C.J. Stroud was going to throw an interception in that stretch. I just, I don't see it. 
I did not think that Georgia was going to be able to answer for him. I mean, they had guys going down every play with cramps. They had guys just, I mean, just just falling off the bone. <laughs> you know, Georgia's defensive secondary. I get that you don't have your star receiver, that you're working with some backups, but like I think C.J. Stroud probably would have gone and won you the game. And I don't, I don't love taking the ball out of his hands on first down. I don't love not just continuing to call the offense as you were because I think he probably gets one into the end zone. I think he wins it, and you don't even need to rely on the kicker, which is better. It's a better outcome than than needing to you know needing to hit a kick, even if you do get it closer. I just I think you got to trust Stroud at that point. I think with the game that he had, you have to you have to trust that he can go and win it. And if he doesn't, you know, if if it comes up short, if he throws an interception, if something goes wrong. You take that. You went out on your sword, but I, I, I just, I didn't love going away from it. I didn't love going away from it being so predictable in that first down run. Um, I don't think that it's like disastrous. I don't think it's like, oh my god, I can't believe that he did that. I, I get it. I understand the thinking. Um, I don't think it's totally unreasonable to do that. But I just, with how C, with how C J Stroud was playing, it's it's difficult for me to. It's difficult for me to justify going away from him um, at, at that point and not just letting him letting him go make a play basically just 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 doing what you do when you have guys like that who are playing in that mode and i understand that's vibes based analysis but like i mean he's fucking good he's a fucking he's fucking good in this game i don't think georgia yeah, was going to have an answer for him um yeah and and that was you know that was pretty much what georgia did in the fourth quarter was they just rode the hot hand it's like well stetson's making throws so we're going to just let Stetson do it and he went and did it and that was uh I don't know I feel like Ohio State had the better quarterback in this game and I don't know why you wouldn't have him try and go win the battle instead of having your kicker do it uh it's it's I don't know I I don't I don't love that but again I don't think that it's like a fireable offense I get it I understand where he's coming from I just I didn't think that it was the best way to end the game um the fourth quarter in general I would have more issues with than the than the the you know the the setup for the kick. I think that the fourth quarter in general was not Ohio State's finest hour offensively. Uh, Harrison being out is what it is, and and he was obviously important, and and you know would have been very valuable to have. But yeah, tough you, call there. As yeah, well. you mean, gotta you gotta find something else. You gotta find something else that can work at that point in the game because you cannot afford to lose the game, and they did. And I I think that um, I'm curious because we've not talked about the, the the stuff that happened inside of the game a ton, but. Um, I'm curious what you think about the, what is it, the three controversial calls near the end of the game, the the first down for Brock Bowers, the targeting or no targeting on, on Harrison, and then the timeout on the punt. Um, personally, I didn't really have any issue with them. It, it seemed like Brock Bowers was there. I think the targeting probably should have been called, um, but I think Brock Bowers did get the first down, or Ladd or whoever it was, and then um, the punt. I think Bowers was, got that. I, that's yeah. no problem. I mean, it's, it yeah. was visible on the, yeah. Yeah, and, that's then, fine. and then the punt, I think it's just one of those you got to just give it up. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, Georgia Georgia did, you know, they, they won that. They won that battle. They won that that matchup. They got the time off and yeah. the timeout off in time. I would have still just fucking gone for it. It was fourth and short. Just get a yard. It doesn't. I mean, the answer is too. Is like, uh, <laughs> this is the last thing I want to say about this game. I think we should move on at this point. But yeah, you know, uh, like the fact that they were calling a fake punt in the first place. That offense, this team is insane. Yeah, uh, I don't. And it's yeah, the second I, game I don't in think a row that... they went to do that. And, yeah. and it's it's because he's trying to justify having Parker Fleming on staff, right? Yeah. That's why he's doing it. Yeah, I don't think that Mitch Rossi needs to be the guy touching the ball at that point in the game. <laughs> no, just, dude. And like, and also, generally. by the way, it's the second. I know Michigan didn't recognize it in the moment the last game, 
Uh, but like they said, oh yeah, that's formation we all saw on their film that every time they do that, they want to fake. Like yeah. every, like that's the most obvious thing we could see. We all sniffed it out. Yeah. And Georgia did the same thing too. Like you pay a full-time team coordinator and he can't even like fucking disguise anything. It's like that every opponent they play knows what he's doing when he does it is, is bad. That's not a good thing. That's yeah. like, that's not a good sign. Uh, it's, it's frustrating, man. I don't know. There's just no need for that guy to be on staff. Yeah, they have a terrible, they have a terrible special teams coach, and it's. Yeah, I, it's... I mean, like, is it is it would, it would it be that hard? Like, I know that the the screens have not been. I don't know where people stand on screens with Ohio State this year. I'm not up on it. Um, but like, they're pissed about them. They're yeah. pi- they about the lack of them, or that they exist. That they, they think they do too much of it. It doesn't okay. really make sense. It's kind of a nonsense complaint, actually. That it's. Yeah, I don't I, want to get into it. I've done. It, I've done it already. That's a classic but. thing that people love to complain about. Is just the the existence or lack thereof of screens. I feel like that would be a perfect time to get the ball to just like your fastest guy and then put a bunch of big receivers in. How front about of a him. fucking quarterback <laughs> sneak, dude? It's fourth and one. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's fourth. like I get that they couldn't really run in this game all that much, but like there are ways to get a yard. It, 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 I don't know that you need to have a you know special teams Machiavelli moment where it's just like, well, we're gonna. We're going to draw up the perfect play to get a yard. It's a yard. It shouldn't be that hard to get. You, <laughs> you've gained a lot of them. I feel like you could probably get a yard, but uh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's, uh, so you know. We, we should move on really quick here. We, cause we got to get out of here soon, but we yeah. should move on to, uh, just really quick. We can probably dispatch with the sugar bowl and orange bowl in like two sentences. Right. Uh, um, yeah. Sugar bowl. Don't care. And Bryce Young, awesome college player. He had an awesome career. Didn't win anything. All of meaning. Yeah. Um, awesome. Zero empty trophy case. I'm happy for him to be a good player and go to the NFL draft. Yeah. Uh, Will Anderson, empty stats game. Don't care. Yep. Um, Jameer Gibbs was great. Deuce Vaughn was great. Uh, Kansas state lost. Alabama was a bad team. They dropped along in the playoff. They should stay ranked at fifth. No further thoughts. Yep. Uh, and then the other one is the Orange Bowl, which would be Tennessee and Clemson. Tennessee 31, Clemson 14. Um, it's the, it's what we've been saying, man. It's just that Clemson doesn't have anything outside of that defensive line, right? That's that's the last yep. thing that's keeping them elite. And when that washes out of the program, they will fall into, what, like 8-4 and four territory? I think they'll be a, a, yeah. a middling a, ACC team. They just... They've got nothing. They going could on. have a Florida State like collapse like seven years. Yeah, they they've got they've got nothing going on right now. There's there's nothing there. That line is going to be worse next year. The entire team is going to be worse next year. They don't seem to be making changes or reflecting on anything. The offense is awful. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. The offense is awful. Um, it's just just I mean, what was it? Fifty four fucking attempts for Cade Klovnik in this game. Uh, they've got yeah. nothing. They've got nothing. They have no answers. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have guys. They just don't have guys on offense anymore. They they are without guys. I think Cade could end up being a good player. I don't know, but he's not he's not going to be given the same opportunities that the guys who came before him had because the talent around him is just not as good. It's it's not that they're waiting on a generate on another generational quarterback. It's that they don't have anything else. They've got nothing there. If he's smart, he should go transfer and be like Chip Kelly's quarterback now, or, or go be Sonny Dykes' quarterback, or <laughs> yeah. go 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 somewhere where they're going to actually uh, take care of you. Yeah, but, just uh, switch sidelines. Just go over to Tennessee; they'll take care of you. No problem. Yeah, um, yeah. So is, that's, is Joe Milton going to start there? It seems. I mean, it's going to be him, right? Or, or unless it's Nico. I guess. Uh, I guess that's pretty we're gonna, funny. We're going to stretch the bounds of what that offense is capable of doing with making guys look better than they are. Um, yeah. So that's that's all I have on that. And then uh, I do want to. Co- I'm I'm going to talk about the Cotton Bowl here a little bit, um, just because it was it was a good result. I was this was a this was a result that I. I was very personally pleased with Tulane 46 USC 45 Tulane comes back very 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 late in this game just a flurry of points there at the end Um, I'm pulling up the uh, the actual 
box score so I can get the actual list of how it happened here. Um, yeah, so USC kicks a, kicks a field goal with four and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Tulane has a four-yard rushing touchdown. Um, they get a uh, they get a safety on the ensuing possession, and then Michael Pratt throws a touchdown pass, a uh, six-yard touchdown pass with nine seconds left to win the game, to come back, uh, storm back, and, and, and beat USC. Um, just as a result, as a, as a win for Tulane, wonderful, absolutely wonderful to see them get this victory, to see them win a major bowl game like this. This is the first time that they've been in a game like this in a very long time, in a lot of people's lifetimes, you know, as, as Tulane fans, they've never seen this. Um, and, and to, to win it at all is, is excellent, but to go out there and to beat USC of all programs, to beat USC, to, uh, to have them completely, I mean, you, you, you overcome an unbelievable Caleb Williams performance where he's throwing the ball all over, all over the yard, he's throwing to everybody. Um, you still come out on top, and, and, and Tulane produced all kinds of explosive plays, 14 explosive plays. They, uh, the, the, thing I said on, the thing I said on Twitter in, in response to this is to, the, to quote the Nick Saban thing, you know, Tulane ran through their ass like shit through a 10 horn. It's just... Ty J. Spears was excellent, 205 yards. Michael Pratt ran for another, what was it, another uh, uh, 83, but that's that's with uh, with sacks factored in. I think he was over 100 on his actual designed carries. They finished the game at 305 rushing yards, and they completely stopped USC's rushing attack. They, they, they dominated in the trenches. They got the job done in the trenches. This is not... I mean, and it's just, it's every Alex Grinch defense too, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, like this is just so predictable. Like it's crazy. He's still allowed to do this. Yeah. He's probably going to get brought back next year too. Yeah. Which uh, is, it's, it's, I mean, USC just can't tackle, which is like, that's a, that's a big part of it is that USC can't and won't tackle, but Tulane beat them in the trenches here. They beat them on both sides of the ball in the trenches. They won the battle up front. They, they dominated on the ground. Um, just very cathartic, uh, a cathartic win all the way around here to, to watch this happen for Tulane and two. USC. I mean, Tulane just, I mean, 10.65 yards per fucking play. They were averaging a first down. <laughs> they were averaging a first down every time they snapped the ball. That's crazy. Like, that's, uh, that's, that's it's nuts. wonderful, wonderful vindic- vindication for, uh, for anti Alex Grinch heads like us. Um, and Mia culpa from me on Tulane. They were, they were good. They were, they were fucking good. They were good enough to win this game. Um, very, very proud of them. Very proud of what they have done this season. Full credit yeah. to them. Absolutely wonderful, wonderful. It, it is pretty funny, by the way. They did just play like I mean, they they really didn't get pressure on Caleb all day. Yeah, like uh, they had no sacks. Game, if I recall correctly, um, they, <laughs> like they they didn't sack Caleb in a single time. Uh, he threw for four hundred sixty-two yards. USC had the ball for forty minutes. It, it was just like you know, Tulane just got it done right. They just like they just they maximized their high leverage plays. Um, and then some. Yeah. USC didn't. Yeah, I mean, and then some, right? I mean, USC had a missed field goal in this game. Obviously, the safety was a big deal. Uh, they had two missed field goals, actually, if I recall correctly. They're just one, two, one. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, like, good, good on, good on Tulane. I think it's awesome for them. I'm really happy for them to get this win. Um, I know you're a big AAC head as well. So huge for league. It's a league you love a lot and think yeah. is think is the pride and joy of it. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, but. Uh, yeah, man. I don't know. I think uh, I think that's pretty much all it, we. Uh, it is just. It, it's also. It's crazy. If if Lincoln Riley and USC run it back with Alex Grinch, that's nuts. That's absolutely psycho to do that. This defense is disastrously Dude, bad. Really funny. I hope they do. 
it's like they don't know how to I mean, to it's tackle. his first year there. It's his first, Are they going to farm him for one year? Is, was he that bad? Well, he was there at Oklahoma, too. It's not like this is the first time he's done this shit. It's, yeah, but it's... he brought him with him to USC. Yeah, I know. Man, that sucks. That sucks if you're USC. That's... Yeah. Congrats on also. Con- I, congrats on just being Oklahoma. It seems like you maybe get what you wish for with that. Yeah. Also, as we're recording this, uh, Utah is trailing twenty-one fourteen to Penn State, but it appears that Cam Rising is going to be out for a bit. It's like he hurt his left knee. Okay. Um. So we'll see what happens in that game. But whatever, whatever happens, we predicted the right score of it. Yeah, that's um, right. We both we we both we did a sort of a mind meld, and we we accurately cor- predicted what the correct final score of that would be and uh we're not going to say it on here but we both know uh, in our hearts yeah. what the what the final outcome is going to be and so we're very happy uh to congratulate the winning team which will be the one that wins the game um we will see you yeah. guys uh, again on the uh on the premium show this time for real this That's time right. we're actually going to do the premium show we won't forget like we did last week that one is our bad uh but we will talk to you all uh well the ones of you who and also by, like. by the way really quick to explain the uh the, the why we talk about the questions that didn't actually do any questions uh-huh. uh all of all of them were about the ohio state coaching staff for the most part yeah so we're going to uh we're going to talk about that in the premium episode of high street freaks oh actually is there there is some more uh do you want to do these really quick no we just said we get out of here do you want to try to do rapid fire yeah sure okay uh, Jake Afariat asks, why do y'all think Tulane was the G5 during the season among mainstream college football media types rather than Coastal or UTSA or Troy? They were the AAC team. They, they, they yep. were the best team in the American, and that's the only conference that those people watch. Um, the, and they don't even really do that. It's it's more just the one that has been popular for the last couple of years, so they just assumed that it was the same. Um, people just don't want to make the effort to watch those other leagues, I think, is, is largely the, the thing. They, they assume that there's nothing going on, and so they just... it, it, it is self-perpetuating. Um, I agree. I would, also, uh, I, I AP think, journalist, you can change this because the, the committee is lazy too and they just read your poll. Yeah. If you guys post hard enough, you can change this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think this is probably going to change over the next couple of years. It'll shift to the Sun Belt and then the Sun Belt will end up being bad at some point because all of its coaches will leave. It's the cycle of the G5 is that you, you get this. The MAC was probably given more attention than it deserved over its last couple of years of being like really good. I think that this will happen with, it happens with every league at some point. It's cyclical. This will move on from the AAC. I think that this year will probably have a big part in that. Um, it's just a matter of time, but for right now, the AAC is the flavor of the month. And so they're just going to pick whoever the best team is from the AAC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. Our other question here, our last one is why aren't Michigan fans more upset about fumbling a pretty damn good shot at the title? I guess they have a reasonable chance to run it back next year, but I feel like I'd be pretty mad about how it went down personally. Well, who Which better, is what I said earlier, who better yeah. to answer this question than you and me? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Now, Patrick, do you have any kind of smarmy response that you get into here? Any kind of smarminess that you'd like to answer with? Yeah. I think it's just that they're not serious about football. That has to be it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I think it's probably just confidence in a young team, right? This is a young team. They'll be back. I think that they will continue to be. And there's no reason to think you can't beat Ohio State at this point. If you're Michigan, you, you might as well have confidence that you can return. I, it's it's it probably also just hasn't fully set in yet. I've noticed that happens a lot with games like this. But I think it's going to happen for Ohio State fans, too, where it's just like a couple days later, it really hits you. of like, oh, shit, we could have. <laughs> We could have, we really could have had that one, um, but I, I think you kind of, you kind of are a little bit numb to it uh, immediately after. That's that's the best answer I would I would give like the honest answer. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I think also ju- like not trying to be a dick here, but that is the nature of their fan base, right? Like they are pretty happy with uh, 
winning Big Ten championships. Like they're not a team, they're not a program or a fan base that expects national titles the way that like you know Ohio State does. Basically, yeah, based on um, I mean recent history, this would be this is a, a a a great season. I really I'm not trying to say this as like an insult. Michigan is improving as a program. This was a great season. It's this just, is their you know, second best season in the last eighty years. Yeah, like you went fucking thirteen and one and won the Big Ten and beat the shit out of Ohio State at Ohio State. Like that's a fantastic season. I, I can understand not being all that frustrated with with this, even if like. Yeah, in a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months, you'll probably, as Michigan fans, you'll see people start to look back and, and be like, "Oh shit, we could have, we maybe could have won a national championship and, and blew it." But right now, it's it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to, it's 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 hard to do that right after the loss because you're especially a close loss like this. And I think Ohio State, like I said, you're seeing this with Ohio State fans too. It's hard to be too mad about that close of a loss when it's not like one specific thing you can point to of like oh well that's why we lost the game it's more just like ah man it's 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 sad more than it is angry and when you're sad you're not usually thinking big picture yeah i I think that's fair um i don't know i guess i think we respond to loss in different ways too but but to me uh i would be more upset than they were i I think just the fact of the matter is like this was an awesome opportunity for them They, they probably should have won this game and they couldn't get it done uh, and I think they should be more bummed out. I, I want to see them sad. Yeah, personally, I respond to any and all losses from any college football team by using it as an opportunity to craft a new narrative or to shape my current narrative around the uh, the uh, the outcome. So that's sort of how I that's do right. it. Uh, but whatever you guys are doing is cool as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> also, by the way, how about this? I want to throw it out at the end of the podcast. There's mm-hmm. no further context. We can just end on this sound clip. Yep. Michigan head coach Brett Bielema. 